0: hello and welcome to a murderous affair my name is gabrielle and this seems to be the month that we are talking about murderous healthcare workers for those of you who don't know this is the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder our story today takes us to germany where we talk about the deadly gish gottfried Gottfried was born on March 6, 1785 to Johann Tim and Gesh Margaret Tim. She had a twin brother, Johann Tim Jr., and her parents always seemed to prefer him to her. Now, like many other serial killers, people like to look back at Gottfried's childhood to try and see how it affected her as an adult. What's interesting about Gottfried's case in particular is that it seems like because of how she killed people and just the general way her parents treated her, a lot of people have begun to believe that she had munchausen syndrome by proxy basically munchausen's by proxy is where a caregiver makes up or causes an illness slash injury to someone under their care in this case gottfried was the one who was causing the illness to people that she put herself in charge of now obviously this is just a theory and not actually a diagnosis or for sure reasoning behind gottfried's actions but it is what a lot of people have looked to as kind of trying to find the reason behind her actions. I also think that people try and find reasons for things when sometimes there is just bad people in the world and Gottfried was just one of them where she took advantage of a system that she saw worked and used it to get what she wanted and didn't care about who she hurt on the way. Gottfried's father was a tailor and her mother worked as a sewer slash seamstress. Surprisingly enough, despite their supposedly low or poor class status, Gottfried and her parents were able to arrange a marriage between herself and a wealthy man who made saddles in 1806. His name was Johann Mittenberg, and this marriage was not a happy one. Mittenberg seemed to like prostitutes, drinking, and dance halls more than he liked spending time with his wife we can all guess where this is going. By 1813, the marriage would be over. Gottfried became known as the Angel of Bremen because she was this beautiful, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, 28-year-old woman who doted on her sick husband and continued to support him even as he got more and more sick, despite all of his failures and the kind of flaws that he had in their marriage, according to the public eye. And she nurtured him quite literally to his death. Gottfried was was now a widow with three children, but she was also very, very good friends with one of her dead husband's friends, Michael Christoph Gottfried where she would eventually take his last name. Now, Gottfried's parents were not too happy with this interest that she took. Apparently, Michael wasn't a big fan of kids, and her parents were very, very vocal about their disapproval. They were the only obstacle in Gottfried's marriage to Michael, at least until first Gottfried's mother, then her three and six-year-old daughters, her father, and her seven-year-old son died within the span of May, June, and September of 1815 Now. childless, with no living family to support her. The town's sympathy was only growing. And while this may look suspicious to us now, this was back in a time where epidemics routinely took the lives of many families who lived in unhygienic and crowded conditions. Which I believe now more than any other time is when we can understand how quickly sickness can spread through a community. If anything, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us how All these epidemics essentially would wipe out entire family lines because of just their close proximity to each other and just the reality of community spread Um, but back back to Gottfried no suspicions were raised against her and as a bonus all barriers holding Gottfried back from marrying Michael were disposed of so their relationship could continue at least until 1816 when Gottfried's twin brother, Johann, returned from a war that left him injured and with severe mental health problems. He'd fought in the war against Napoleon and had been discharged due to injuries. And now he came home to claim the inheritance his parents had left him. And of course, since he was the favored child, he was left significantly more than Gottfried herself was. Now Gottfried couldn't have that, and on June 1st, 1816, she cooked him a dinner of fish and arsenic. He died not too long after his return from war. Now, arsenic used to be so easily found. It's a reason why a lot of these women that we cover on the podcast used it as their primary method of poison for their victims it would be commonly sold at drug and corner stores as a form of rat poison and was nearly tasteless odorless and easily mixable into almost everything gottfried's go-to for incorporating her poison was to use what was called mouse butter a mix of fat and arsenic that created a creamy butter-like substance often used to kill rodents and other pests not long after the death of her twin brother Gottfried found out that she was pregnant with Michael's child. And with this revelation, her new love decided that he was done with the relationship. Like I said before, he was really against having children. Before any major actions could be taken, he became really, really sick and Gottfried stayed in the house to take care of him. She had begun mixing this mouse butter into his meals when it turns out that he didn't respond well to the pregnancy. He was one of the victims who didn't die at first, but instead fell completely under her whims and viewed her as his primary caretaker. They were married so that she could continue to care for him with ease and make some financial and, you know, general decisions that he was unable to make at that time. But ultimately, he died in July of 1817 after his death she found out that the baby she was carrying would also turn out to be stillborn now after Michael's death Gottfried seemingly hit a dry spell where nobody close to her died it wasn't until 1823 when her funds began to run out that murders of the people that she was considered close to or had a relation with would continue in spring of 1823 Her neighbor, a merchant named Paul Zimmerman, proposed to her. It wasn't long after accepting his proposal that she noticed a pharmacy was advertising their mouse butter on sale. To test it and see if it was, quote, the real thing, she made a sandwich for her fiancé, who began to get sick and then would continue to get worse until he died on June 1st, 1823. But of course, luckily, he'd remembered to add her into his will before he died, so she ended up getting his assets. And it kind of seems like after his death, Gottfried started actively to look for more and more victims. She ended up selling the house that she had bought with her second husband, Michael Gottfried, to a willmaker, Johann Rumpf, under the condition that she was allowed to stay on as a tenant. She became really close to the family that moved in, helping take care of the children and referring to herself as their aunt, in addition to doing housework. She even helped take care of Mrs. Rumpf when she got sick, until she died on December 22, 1826. Except, in this case, Johann Rumpf was suspicious. He had noticed how seemingly everyone close to Gottfried would die after becoming mysteriously ill, and this suspicion only increased when one day he found these strange white grains in a salad that she had served him. He refused to eat the salad, and just kind of kept it at the back of his mind, until a few days later he noticed the same white grains in a different dish. This time, he saved some and snuck them to a doctor to get it tested. The doctor confirmed that it was a quote considerable amount of arsenic and Gottfried was arrested on March 6, 1828. Unfortunately, at that point, she had claimed the lives of two others and had also dosed her latest victim, Frederick Klein, a friend who she'd moved to after the death of Miss Rumpf and when she noticed that Johann Rumpf was getting suspicious of her, to the point that even though she was caught, Frederick Klein still died. She was sent to jail for three years in a cellar under the town hall in Bremen. The judge named Franz Frederick Drost was reportedly fond of her and treated her with a lot of pity, saying that it was his job that was making him act so harshly towards her. And normally he was a very nice man. Gottfried was eventually found guilty of the murders of 16 people, although according to her, the real estimate was somewhere around 30. She was given a death sentence, and on April 21, 1831, she was sent to Domhof Square. There was a scaffold covered in black, and she was directed to the podium and sat on a stool. There, her sentence was read and she was beheaded. Although she wasn't buried after. Her body was displayed on museum in Domhof, and the reason behind that was to apparently raise money for an orphanage. Gottfried's was the last public execution in Bremen, and her skeleton was last reported to be in the Department of Pathology of Bremen in 1912. One way that Gottfried is remembered in Bremen is at the Central City Square. There, you will see a, quote, black stone in the roadway, where the platform that Gottfried was once beheaded stood. To demonstrate their disgust towards Gottfried and her cruelty, The city placed this black stone and encouraged people to this day, although I'm not sure how realistic that is or how updated that is given the current pandemic, but the town had encouraged those who saw it to spit on it and it has become this kind of big touristy thing that people do once they get to Bremen. In fact, nowadays people do it even though they may not necessarily know the story behind it. That is the story of the final execution in Bremen, Gish Gottfried. Our sources today were from an author named Per Hulk, from, who wrote an article about the memory of a female serial killer in Bremen and the Black Stone in the Scandinavian Journal of Forensic Science. We also had an Inside Hook article about the notorious female serial killers and, of course, Wikipedia and the entry they have on Gish Gottfried. I realize now that I've been forgetting to actually say the areas or the places that I get my sources so definitely had to remind myself to do it this time I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I would love to know what you guys think feel free to get a hold of me on social media I'm on Twitter Tumblr Facebook Instagram YouTube basically everywhere that social media exists as frumius reads that's f-r-u-m-i-o-u-s-r-e-a-d-s If you want to keep up with the podcast, make sure you subscribe or follow wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We are on Apple, we're on Google Play, um, Podbean, Podbreed, Libsyn, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on the podcast homepage at frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair where there you can kind of keep up with everything that's going on with the podcast, all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and see the written transcript that we have for each episode. That's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening, and let me know what you thought of this episode. I'll talk to you next week. And for now, stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.